RadioInfluence.com. You've seen Chef Ryan Duffy on Spike TV's Bar Rescue, NBC's Today Show, and opening bars and restaurants all over the world. Now he's sharing his stories, his friends, and some tips of the trade he's learned along the way. Prepare yourself to get Duffified. This is Duffified Live with Chef Brian Duffy on Radio Influence. Hey everybody, welcome to a good Friday morning, which is Duffified Live Day. Thank you all so much for uh, hanging out, getting out here, doing your subscribe and your like. I want you guys all to do me a huge favor uh, as well. Um, get over to my Instagram. Uh, that's Chef Bride Duff, C-H-E-F-B-R-I-D-U-F-F, and follow. Okay, I got some really cool stuff coming up in the next couple of months um, that I want to share with you guys, and I want to get it out there to as many people as possible. So if you're a subscriber to Duffified Live and you don't follow me on Instagram or Twitter, we got a problem. So go over there and check out Chef Bride Duff, C-H-E-F-B-R-I-D-U-F-F. All right? Uh, Wow. Like, I'm kind of exhausted this week. Um, We recorded last week... Uh, had uh, just a really good episode with um, Manushka Garrier, uh, you know, that celebrity personal chef. I love talking to her and hearing her story and her kind of moves through the ranks as well. And one of the things that I love about the show that we're doing lately, especially when talking to all these chefs, is that we're not talking just to chefs that are hiding in a kitchen. That, that's, a, that, that's a wrong thing to say. I don't mean hiding in the kitchen. I mean chefs that are in the kitchen all the time. We're talking to a multitude of people that are out there that have taken different paths throughout this industry, whether it be a cookbook author and a traveler like we have this week with Hope Cohen, or we've got somebody like you know Manushka who traveled around the country for seven months in an RV. Um, you know, we've had some really awesome guests on in the next couple of months. I'm really going to focus a lot on the culinary side. And um, with the exception of a guest that we have on in the next two weeks, which is a buddy of mine who uh, is a, who just is in the process right now of doing seven marathons, seven days and seven continents. Um, so he's when he gets when uh, Rick gets back, he's going to hop on the show. But I've liked the last couple of weeks of chefs because of the fact that they're non-traditional. You know, these are are people that are not just standing in a kitchen and running and operating restaurants. These are people that have that are seeing different sides of the industry. And that's always something that interests me that really kind of piques my my. Uh, my knowledge and my interest across the board is what people are doing within this industry. So, um, so I'm pretty stoked about that, and I hope you guys like the way that it's going. I've seen, you know, the sub, the subscription has gone has gone up, so I'm pretty stoked about that. But we want to get more people to watch and listen. So, tell everybody that you know to download and subscribe to Duffified Live. It's not that hard, and I'll wait. All right, I waited long enough. So. Here's the deal uh, for this week. I'm going to talk to you guys a little bit about what um, kind of went on last week and where I was and what I was doing. And uh, I uh, started skiing a couple weeks ago. Um, and uh, I have been just I'm, – I'm in love. I really uh, love skiing. I, I haven't – I hadn't done it. The last time I skied was 26 years ago. 
And uh, I remember hurting myself really bad. Um, I was kind of a hot dog, young, coming down the side of a mountain. Um, I was up on Hunter Mountain up in New York with a buddy of mine. And we kind of split ways. And uh, uh, during that that trip, he went down some double diamonds. And um, I was kind of chilling out on a little bit of the easier trails. But I was going super fast. I ended up wiping out um, and really hurting myself pretty badly and never getting back on skis again. Um, so I decided, made that decision that I wanted to start skiing again this year. I got Fiona, my youngest daughter, a snowboard. Um, Emily, not so much yet. She's down there in Florida. So I wasn't about to get her a snowboard when she lives in Florida. Um, and I broke out the skis. Uh, and I'm pretty happy that I did. You know, I really have enjoyed um, my last bunch of runs. I was up on West Mountain um, in upstate New York. And then I was over uh, on Gore uh, a couple days later. And then this past week, I did Whiteface up in uh, Lake Placid, which, Jesus, man, like taking that gondola up to the top of that mountain after 18 inches of snow uh, was something that I've never experienced before. So for me, um, that whole trip up and then to really be able to turn around and come back down. And uh, the lady that I was skiing with made a mistake in her turn at one point. And we ended up on this, this literally this crazy moguled black diamond uh, that I, I, you know, I kind of had to stop. And I kind of turned around and I'm like, you know, where the fuck am I? Like I was cruising along. I was doing really well. Um, I'd only had one little wipeout. Remember, I haven't skied in 26 years. And now I'm on this Olympic mountain and uh, I crushed it. I just absolutely loved it. I had an amazing day um, hanging out there. It was a one and done trip. That's how long the gondola up was. And that's how long that trip back down took that we only had enough time to really get one big, long, full run in. But it was totally worth it. I mean, I've never skied in powder like that before. It's a totally different experience than that kind of crappy northeast stuff that we've had around here for all these years. And especially right now with no snow, you're basically kind of skiing on ice. Um, but I'm really glad to get out there. It's something, it's a great exercise. I love that cold wind, that cold air just flowing through my body. It's so invigorating and it just gets me super pumped up, um, for, you know, for, for what's next in this lovely sport that I really have, have really fallen in love with again. I mean, I'm, I, I really enjoy being out there. Um, with the exception of the boots, the boots just blow. I'm not a boot guy. I hate them, uh, because I've got bad feet. I'm a chef. I've been standing for, you know, however many years, you know, in the kitchen, not taking care of myself. Uh, and uh, it, it's taken its toll in the last couple of years. I got some shitty feet, boys and girls. Um, and as you've seen, if you follow me on Instagram, you've seen I'm getting cortisone shots and having my feet checked out all the time because I'm really trying to fix that problem. So um, but we're getting there. And I'm excited because I'm taking my boots back in. We're going to get them uh, refitted. Uh, you know, they say give it a couple of runs before you really want to get, make some changes. So I'm going back in, I'm getting refitted for my boots and, uh, Fiona and I, my youngest daughter, her and I are just the two of us. I've been looking forward to this for the last couple of years. Uh, Finn and I, uh, 
you know, not that Fiona and I don't spend time together, but her and I are going to head up to the mountain. We're going up to Montage up there in Pennsylvania, Scranton, PA, uh, my old stomping grounds of where I learned how to ski. And Finn and I are going to get up there. We're going to play around a little bit. So uh, I'm pretty stoked about that. Um, restaurant food-wise, guys, hey, I'm, I'm going to be honest. I went to a wedding this weekend. Uh, and I'm not going to talk about the location. Um, uh, there were some struggles. The kitchen had some struggles during this probably 150 person wedding where, uh, three of the tables ended up waiting over an hour, almost a full, not over, but about a full hour, uh, before we got our food. Um, so it was kind of felt really bad for the staff at that point. At the same time, I felt bad for the bride and groom. I mean, it was not a cheap event. You know, and to, to have to kind of do that struggle of making people wait, you know, three quarters of the dining room is making that move towards the dance floor. And that last bit of us are sitting down waiting for food. It's it's uh, kind of a tough thing. I felt bad for the kitchen at that point. And, um, but it uh, the worst part about that was that I drank too much uh, sitting down at the table that long. They, you know, kept bringing me drinks. And I just kept sitting back and wasn't paying attention. Next thing you know, I was a little banged up, hit that 10, 30, 11 o'clock time frame. But it didn't stop me from dancing up a storm. I have a chap lower lip from my white man overbite. And I got some burning thighs from skiing and dancing up there. Uh, I ended up going outside to uh, – they have a, a, an ice skating rink out on the back. And I watched a bunch of kids playing hockey. And uh, it was kind of cool. There was a, a kid, uh, probably six or seven who had come out of uh, this little warming hut that they had. And there was another kid who was playing goalie. And the kid walked out of the hut with his mother. And he yelled over to the kid. And he was like, hey, whatever, we'll call him Timmy. He's like, hey, Timmy, I really liked playing with you today. Will you be back tomorrow? Um, you know, and I kind of, you got to stop every now and then and think about it. Like, you know, as adults, we we have all of these years of, of uh, experience and meeting people. And we learn how to weed people out and do all that. And then, you know, especially while I'm standing at a wedding, I'm, uh, you know, introducing and shaking hands to people as, you know, throughout the day and the night and, you know, meeting new people on a, on a, on a, on a different level while I'm up there. And then the rawness of this just kid, he's like, I liked playing with you and I want to do it again. You know, like they're making a play date right there. And it's funny because it kind of full circled came around to me today. Somebody had posted a meme of, you know, adults. Hey, I really like you. You want to hang out? No. Or yes, let's try. You know, and six months later, you finally get that point down. And uh, it's just kind of funny. So and it kind of leads me into my next uh, the next guest that I have on the show. Um, This is somebody who I have uh, uh, been um, interested in for many years in, in her style and her delivery and the career path that she's chosen. And, um, and we've never, I I don't think, you know, other than a, a very simple handshake back and forth, I don't think we ever really, uh, have met, you know, I, I mean, met, talked, had conversation, whatever it is. So, for me, this is a this is a, a really cool moment for me because I get to have a conversation with somebody who I like, and uh, not that I don't all the time, but this is somebody who I have um, watched, 
you know, her career move forward through the years and really started a revolution in Philadelphia with chefs being on TV and kind of an icon in Philly in any way. So, um, you know, I'm really stoked to talk to Hope today. We're talking to a chef named Hope Cohen. Uh, you can follow her on Instagram at I Crave Philly. Um, she's a super cool chick, uh, lives in the city right now, travels all over the place, just got back from Thailand and spent six months living in Italy, honing her craft and, um, you know, building a new concept for a show. And uh, I'm really excited to talk to her. And I, I hope that you guys are as well. Um, so um, you guys are going to get to listen to Hope Cohen. Um, uh, but before we get into that, I want to talk to you guys real quick about something that's going on. Y'all know about my uh, my nightclub and bar stuff and what I do. I talk about the nightclub and bar show that happens out in Vegas every single year. And this unbelievable segment that we have called the Food and Beverage Innovation Center where originally it started out as this tiny little booth where we had a couple of chefs and some really cool equipment being put together. And from there, we've grown it into this massive booth. We've got 10 chefs this year uh, coming out for the show. We've got Kev Deshane. Uh, we've got Panini Pete. We've got Nick Liberato, Kayla Robeson. We've got Matt Varga. I've got the hiccups. Two David Fu, uh, Jennifer Bem Lazzarini, um, who else am I missing in this wonderful group that we have? Monte Carlo um, is coming out there. Chad Rosenthal is coming back out. So we've got not only some of my friends, but some new people that we've added to the roster this year to come out and be able to talk. And in doing that, we now have on Wednesdays, if you guys get a chance, go over to Instagram and follow on Wednesdays. I do a live video every week introducing one of the chefs that's going to be up there. But after that, I end up doing live menu reads. Um, a gentleman named Jeremiah Batacon uh, is uh, out of D.C. and he works with um, – uh, nightclub and bar show and Questex up there in Connecticut. And everybody sends uh, menus to Jeremiah. Uh, if and, and then he sends them to me that morning and I read them live. My first look at that menu is when it pops up on my screen prior to doing or while I'm doing the show. So I'm literally giving you a first reaction to a menu. Um, if you guys want to have an, a menu analyzed, I highly suggest you email that menu right through to us. You can email that menu through to assistant at chefbrianduffy.com and Sam will be able to get that through. Just put in the subject line like nightclub and bar menu read or live menu read or whatever you want to do and we'll get those menus fed through. We are also, I've partnered up with Michelle at Techno Solution out there in Breeze, Illinois. Michelle is my kind of guru. Her and I bounce ideas off of each other all the time, especially on a creative level when it comes to websites or um, Instagram or Twitter or building or branding or marketing or any of that. Um, I always have Michelle there with me and I love my conversations with her. Um, Michelle does all my menus, my design for menus, my clients designs for menus, um, everything. She's just a, a, a great person to know. And we're giving away a menu revamp. We're giving away an opportunity for Michelle to be able to revamp your entire menu for you. And I'm going to help her with that as well. 
in regards to the descriptions, the food, the layout, the whole nine yards. So do me a favor, get over there in, um, uh, email your a version of your menu, um, a PDF over to assistant at chef, And I will take a look at your menu and we will read it. Um, give us some from information about who you are, why you want us to take a look at your menu and stuff like that. And we'll move forward from there. All right. But without further ado, I want everybody to get ready to listen to this pretty awesome conversation that I get to have with Hope Cohen uh, from I Crave Philly. Well, good morning, Hope. How are you today? I'm really well. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Are you in Philadelphia? I am currently in Philadelphia. (laughs) Yes, I am. It's kind of funny to hear those conversations anymore. People always say to me, they're like, are you home? Are you in Philly this week? So, and after you're on the, you're on the road, years, you're on the road a lot as well, right? I fly about a hundred thousand miles a year. That's a lot. <laughs> yeah. So I do between a hundred and 120, but I typically do about a hundred with American air directly. Everything else is kind of like I do military stuff if I go overseas and that's usually like Delta or United or something. But yeah, so I do about a hundred thousand a year though. But I want your American Airlines status. <laughs> oh, I love my executive platinum. <laughs> I'm I was, sure. I very happy. I just booked six flights this morning. So amazing. Because uh, no matter what, I st- I will book. I will always book my own flights, and I will always book my own hotels because I'm obsessive compulsive about it. I do so, the same thing, actually. Yeah, I gotta know. I gotta get to know where I'm sitting, what time I'm leaving. Like I'm pretty nuts about it. Yeah. I, I, I could be a pretty good travel agent, I think. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, I mean, there's so many different games that you can play with it. You know, there's so many games out there for it, but it all comes down to the credit card and the points. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I, I actually like the art of putting it all together. I like to see the flow and, you know, choose where I'm going and how I'm going to get there and what I'm going to do when I, you know, when I arrive. So it's a whole thing for me, not just about the points and the credit card, although that does come into play. Well, I mean, for me, cause most of my trips are short. So I'll do like, if I have an appearance, it's usually a one day appearance. So I'll either fly in the day before and then fly out the day after. Or if I know that I am kind of free on a day coming in or going, I might book a day ahead or a day after, um, to actually spend time in the city, depending on what I'm doing. Yeah. So, sounds like a especially good now that I'm going to super cool places. Yeah. I, I've been going to some pretty cool places lately. A lot of Pacific Northwest lately. I, that is not an area that I've traveled much, but it's hugely on my list and I'm dying to get up there. I really, really am. Well, there's one, the people are just an entirely different breed from anything that, cause we live in, I mean, we live in the Northeast. We live in, you know, the, 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 the grand populace of the United States. I mean, everything is, you know, 50% of the population lives within 300 miles of Atlantic city in our country, <laughs> which is, is true? It, which is everybody true? laughs about. It is a true wow. fact. I mean, think about it. We've got Boston, DC, Philadelphia, Baltimore, um, New York, you know, yeah. think about that 300 miles up and down and that massive population of what do we have? 63 million people that live in the country and 50% of it live right within us. Amazing. And I never really thought about it that way. Yeah. <laughs> well, you're local. You're, are you mainline or are you Philly? Uh, I am in center city, Philadelphia. Now I lived on the main line for years. I raised my kids there, but I'm 
in the city now. So I try not to cross city line unless I uh, absolutely have to. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's a pure, because it's funny, I was watching one of your videos last night and today, and I guess it was in one of your, the one where you were talking about your cookbook and you walked into the Ardmore Farmer's Market. Yeah, actually, I really like that farmer's market whenever I happen to be out there. I, I do go there. It's just I, I like the, the fish guy there has really great fish. And you've got to Bruno Brothers, of course. And um, I think it's Rowan Sons, the produce. I just I kind of know what I can get and what I like. So I have my spots. And that's definitely if I'm in that neck of the woods, I like to go there. Yeah. It's a good, I mean, it's a good area. It's a shame of what's, there's so much construction going on now that we can't even move. I mean, yeah. just, is that, is that where you in. are based? Are you based on the main line? I live in Ardmore. Uh, yeah. So, well, but at least you can right walk around. Ardmore. It's incredible what's happening there. I was just there the other day, actually, and I, I didn't even recognize it. It's, uh, I mean, well, they just put these, like, they're putting all these townhouses up. You know, they're putting all these condos up. I mean, Suburban Square alone with what's happening right over there. And then you cross over Lancaster Avenue right into Ardmore. Ardmore One has uh, one bedroom efficiencies for $2,300 a month. It's crazy. It reminds me a little bit of what happened in King of Prussia, which I don't really like that much. I I mean, I know they were promising for years. Yeah, it's just I am just like stay as far away as possible from that whole sort of like town center mentality. I don't really like that. It feels a little too homogenous for me. Yeah. Well, and that's funny if you look back and think about the fact that that was a golf course, like a really shitty golf course. I know. I grew I mean, I grew up out there. I, I remember. Um, and so there's something charming about everything sort of being old and decrepit, <laughs> but I understand wanting to yeah. modernize and make it an easier living, you know, an easier sort of living story, but um, just not exactly sure. I'm sure it's all great for people that live there. Once the construction is over, it will be very livable for people that like that lifestyle. I'm not bashing it. I'm just saying for me personally, um, it starts to yeah. feel a little bit, you know, too white bread. <laughs> All right. So people right now are like, hold on, who the hell are we talking to here? So Hope, why don't you do me a favor and tell me who you are, what you do, and how people can either follow you or get in contact with you or whatever your means is. Some of these questions are easy. The other ones, not so much. Um, (laughs) Who I am, (laughs) Hope Cohen. And you can find me primarily on Instagram at I Crave Philly, but also Facebook, I Crave Philly, and Twitter, Hope Cooks. I am a chef. I I like to describe myself as a chef, traveler, storyteller. I produce and host video about food and beverage. Um, I've done it in Philadelphia for years, and now I've been traveling, and I'm working on a new series, which is going to be more global. Um, I do consulting, recipe development. I wrote a cookbook, so I'm a published author. I do a lot of events and panels, moderating, a lot of television and video, all in the food space. Um, I hosted a cooking show for six years, which which was on the Comcast network, or I like to say the artist formerly known as CN8. Um, the show broadcast <laughs> from Maine to Virginia and parts of California and Texas. And then on that show, I filmed over 400 episodes and worked with really world-renowned chefs wow. from all over and So I I worked at QVC for a while, selling products for about five years, all in the kitchen space. Um, So a lot of round 
knowledge and experience in food, both as a chef, but never with my own restaurant, um, but working in other people's restaurants and also um, as a liaison between chefs and the media. So it's a little hard to describe exactly what I do. I think you did a hell of a job. (laughs) Thank you. Okay, so who I am, we covered that, where you can find me and what I do. Okay, there you have it. All three. Great. It was good talking to you. So thanks for being on the show. Yeah, have a great night. uh, We'll move on now. (laughs) So, I I mean, for me, one of the things, you know, I followed you for years. I mean, I'm a Philly guy, born and raised. I mean, I went to the restaurant school in Philadelphia. I graduated in 1994. So, you know, that was at the kind of the, that literally was the forefront of what was, what was, what we now know as like, you know, that celebrity chef world. I mean, you know, of, of, of TV and media and every part of it. It's funny. I just got off the phone with food network today talking about uh, my show and, and some other stuff that we're doing. And we were talking about Emeril Lagasse. And do you remember the book and the cook? Oh my gosh, of course. I mean, I used to, when I was working at, I mean, when I worked at Passion, I remember we had, who was the Asian chef Ming Tsai? He, He did, yeah, I, w- oh, I was a line shit. cook at Passion. I worked ceviche there. Wait, who owned Passion? Guillermo Pernod, James Beard yeah, award-winning wow. author and chef. Of course, yeah, yeah. yeah and, for, right. and before that, he had Vega Grill in Maniunk, which was groundbreaking. I mean, that was, he had I love- worked... I mean, he had worked with Douglas Rodriguez, who, you know, yep. at that time was the only chef really doing Nuevo Latino food in New York City. And Guillermo was originally, you know, nobody knew who he was, but his food was just so interesting. His restaurant was really the only restaurant that I would go and eat at where I felt like I couldn't go home and immediately recreate the dish. It was so foreign at the time. Right. Anyway, so book in the cook. I remember. Yeah. Yeah. I do remember book in the cook. (laughs) And we were talking about how the transition and what has happened these days. And I remember, and I don't know if you remember this or not. Do you remember when Emeril Lagasse was on stage for like one of the last book in the cooks and he didn't cook? I don't remember that. Where was that? That was that when it was at the convention center? That was at the convention center. Yeah. And I was on the team to help him prepare food. But we found out that afternoon that his contract from Food Network would not allow him to cook in an unsanctioned Food Network event. Wow. So that's when that's when chefs to began to be rock stars, right? Yeah, right around that I, time. Well, it was a little bit it was a it was later it was a little later than that. But I remember at that point being like, what the fuck? Like how is it like everybody's here to see this guy. And I, I honestly felt bad for the audience at that point. Like, well, it's, there were probably it's weird. 3000 people. Yeah. Totally weird. Totally weird. That'd be like me having a podcast. Not talking. <laughs> exactly. Um, uh, I don't, I don't know thing, if I was but, there. I don't know if I was there that year, but, um, but I do remember that book and the cook was, it was huge in Philadelphia and it was such a great event. A and, great and, event. There were so many incredibly talented chefs that passed through, <clears throat> excuse me, passed through Philly. I absolutely loved it every year. And it was a cool thing. It really was, and the, it was a great opportunity to showcase Philadelphia and what we had going on. I mean, there was so we had we had amazing chefs coming out of in and out of Philadelphia. Not we that we did, don't but, now, but I mean, no, we did, but it was sort of under the radar. People didn't know who we were. Like people didn't think Philadelphia was serious. 
Well, and it was like New York and L.A. It was New York and L.A. And that was all New York, Chicago, L.A. And even Chicago. I don't feel that Chicago was a major play at that point. I mean, granted, we're going back a long time ago. But yeah, but. Chicago or New York and LA were the two, those were the points. That's where you wanted to be. The food that was coming out of California was unlike anything that anybody had ever seen before. New York was this awesome melting pot. And then Philly started to kind of bubble up and really grow into it. And I remember one of the first years that, I mean, I mean, Jean-Marie Lacroix or not Jean-Marie Lacroix, him and himself was his own, his own force. But George Perrier really influenced a tremendous amount of it. Oh my gosh, George Perrier and, um, I mean, as a chef, mm-hmm. George Perrier, and right around the same time, Neil Stein as a restaurateur. I mean, they changed the complexion of Philadelphia so radically. And George, I adore George. I mean, crazy man, but I love him. He can cook like nobody's business. We did a lot of shows together, yeah. and he's so talented. Yeah, I just did. I mean, if we're going to talk about I George always- Perrier, sorry. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, if we're going to talk about George Perrier, then we also have to talk about Chris Scarduzio, who came up under him. And I mean, so many people, Francesco, Murderello, there were so many great chefs that, I mean, all the, I, Nick Elmy, all the great chefs that came out of, um, out of Lebec fan are just incredible when you start to think about it. I remember I used to work for Derek Davis at Sonoma and I, there was, yeah, exactly. There was a, caricature that was done of the culinary tree in Philadelphia. And it had like Aliza green had uh, Neil Stein. It had all those guys on there and all of the underlings that had worked for them. Amazing. I don't, I never saw that. The lineage. Oh, it was great. It it had to be, I mean, it was, it was probably Philly mag. It had to be, I mean, this was a long time ago. We're talking about, so this was in 2003, four, so a lot of yeah, these chefs chef. who have restaurants yeah. in Philly right now weren't even probably weren't even like adults yet. They weren't even, no, weren't, they were in school. Some of them weren't even thought of. <laughs> Maybe not even they born. Even, they weren't even it's a scary. gleam in an eye anyway. Yeah, exactly. Well, 2003, funny, I mean, they, well, well, 2003, no, maybe not so much. Yeah. But in that, those um, earlier years leading in. So interestingly enough about Derek Davis, it was at Derek Davis's house in Gladwin, I was at a pool party because our kids are the same age. Wow. And that's where I bumped into Guillermo Pernau. And I said to him at the party, I said, listen, your restaurant, Vega Grill, is the only restaurant that I walk into. And I really don't feel like I understand the food. I'm so intrigued because the flavors are amazing. Do you mind if I come and hang out in your restaurant, you know, sometimes so I can kind of see what you're doing? And he was like, yeah, sure, whatever. And he thought I would never call him. The next week I called him and I was like, here I am. And he's like, oh, okay, come <laughs> in. So I started going in, you know, for a couple of hours, once a week, just to kind of watch what was going on. And then slowly he started giving me things to do. And then, I don't know, fast forward one night, a line cook didn't show up and he's like, threw me an apron. He's like, here, <laughs> come help us. And then I was hooked and I just loved it so much. And that's how I started working in the kitchen at Vega. And then, of course, he closed big and opened Passion, and uh, I went to work there. But that's that was my how I connected with Guillermo was through Derek. Yeah, Derek's a good man. I talked to him the other day, um, and I mean, I worked for him for probably three and a half years, three years, I guess. At so Sonoma that was Sonoma, Kansas. Did you work in Kansas City? Oh my gosh! I, I, I mean, I not, used to go there all the time. There. Did, did we know each other then? I wonder. You know, I don't think we ever. 
honestly, I don't think we ever really knew each other. You know, I mean, I know who you are. I've, I've followed what you do and what you've done. And, you know, I did some cool stuff in Philly for a long time. And then, you know, over the last eight years, 10 years, I kind of backed out of Philly. I opened two <laughs> restaurants in Philly, the one that I have now. And I had another one that I closed, um, with partners, um, I left before it closed. It was a weird situation, but, um, but I don't think we've ever really connected in the same world. And it's funny okay. because we have, we'd live, you know, when I grew up in Bala Kimwood. Yeah. Know, I mean, we, we, we were like, we were like, we were basically on the same routes. I mean, definitely for sure, right. because we just yeah. were, but yeah. I mean, I know I've met you and yeah. we've, I've, but we, we, I kind of, of feel like we should know each other better. We know all the same people. I mean, it's Philadelphia <laughs> and it's the food world. I was just yeah. actually, I was Which just texting. Space now. I was just texting with your friend, Ed Lindsley today. Do you remember Ed from Kansas city? No, you don't Oh, He was a manager no. there. And then he was at the four seasons. Um, he, he worked with Derek. Oh, wait, wait, wait. I guess I maybe I Ed, he managed the, the he managed the the fountain room at the Four Seasons and then he was a food and beverage director at the hotel but he started out with well I, I don't know if he started with Derek but amazing I started at the Four Seasons So you worked with Guillermo I was there, there with, No Probably, I was with Tony no? Clark there Oh, oh Tony I love Tony Clark love Where is Tony now I think he moved <laughs> out west I heard he moved out west um, well, I know he had a place he had, he was about to open a place in Jersey the last time that I saw him and it hasn't been, you know, I mean, it's been many years. Another I, incredibly I talented chef. Years. He, he, so he was incredible. His restaurant on Broad Street was really ahead of its time. Do you remember? Yeah. Tony what Clark's. was the name of it? I think it was called Tony oh, Clark's well, maybe that was and me. you, it was on That's Broad it. Street. Yeah, it was like a few blocks South of city hall. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. yeah oh, that's it was right, amazing. Right. You walked down a few steps to get in there. I think it was. I but. always, you know, I did my apprenticeship under those guys. So Marty Hammond, Tony Clark. Another um, great. Lacroix, like that's where I did all my did stuff. Did you work with so, David and David Jansen? Was he with yes, when David you were there? Yes, David was the, David was Garmanger when I first started there. And I did Garmanger with him for, I guess, probably four months. That was another and incredible then I, kitchen. And I asked Amazing. if you put on the hotline, I was like, I got to, I need to learn. I want to go. I want to do this. And I was like, from one, I want to get paid. They're like, no, you work for free. And that's that simple. <laughs> and then I said, well, I want to get on hot side. I want to start moving on. I want to start learning more. You know, I love what I'm doing, but I want to start learning more. And I remember standing in the kitchen one day and I was making, I don't know, some salad for Gottlieb or for Jansen. And uh, the next thing I know, Tony walks in and he's like, here's your apron. Go. You're working fish tonight. And I'm like, yeah. what the fuck are you talking about? Right. And I've never sweat more in my entire life than standing on that. It's great. It's great. Awesome. It's great. One of the coolest experiences that I ever had. Cause it, I mean, look, uh, you know, I, I do stuff now and it's kind of cool that, you know, I walk in and I see Tony and I shake his hand. I'm like, Hey, I don't know if you know. He's like, what the fuck are you talking about, dude? How you been? I haven't seen you in forever. You know, and even Jean-Marie Lacroix to say, I remember you. And I he, he said to me one time I had left early, not early, but I had left without really saying anything to anybody. And the next morning I came into work and when, when Jean-Marie Lacroix, when he walked in, he walked over to me and he said, is everything okay? I said, yes, chef. Why? And he said, well, you left without saying goodbye yesterday. Oh, he's and such I was a like, gentleman. You remember that shit? 
from a guy who doesn't get paid working in your kitchen. Like he was so, and, and at that point, that was such a pinnacle moment of what a chef is to me at that point. And unfortunately it was ruined by some dickhead when I got down to Florida. But, um, yeah, to me, there. that was the pinnacle of what a chef was. I mean, Jean-Marie Lacroix really is, a, is a gentleman. Oh, I mean, in every sense of the word and in, and an every incredibly, an incredible chef as well, but really yeah. an extraordinary person. So what, what got you into this, into this world? I mean, where, what, what did you, what was like that moment when you're like, this is what I want to do? Or, you know, I mean, it's, did you go to school? Was there and any that, training? <laughs> what it is that you're doing? You know, it's crazy, but. Which everybody asks it because culinary school is just so typical. Well, anyway. I'll tell you this. Um, I, I really believe it started out when my mother bought me an easy bake oven at five years old. And I was right. so fascinated with the fact that I could mix up these little packages of powder with some water and put them in this compartment <laughs> with a light bulb. And five minutes later, I'd have cake. And I was just like, oh my right. God, this is amazing. I would rip through those packages like there was no tomorrow. So I loved to cook from really from a very young age and growing up, um, my mom will tell stories when I was, um, seven or eight years old, I always wanted to cook dinner one night. And so they gave me, they would let me do whatever I wanted to do. And so, you know, I was making little miniature pizzas in a toaster oven before there was pizza quick sauce. My mom says that if I could have, you know, had the foresight to take ragu tomato sauce in a jar and turn it into pizza quick sauce, I was the first one doing that. No one had ever heard of that, you know, taking bread and toasting it and making sure it had the right crispness and adding the ragu sauce and mozzarella cheese and then toasting it. Um, and even I would do hot dogs and instead of just throwing it in boiling water, I would, you know, make sure we had good butter and I would fry it in the butter and I would take <laughs> Dijon mustard. I just had this thing. I loved, I loved to eat. I loved the way food tastes and I loved playing with it. And so I really, um, taught myself how to cook, um, I did not go to culinary school. In fact, I did not go to college at all. Um, I worked in rest. I've worked in restaurants since the time I was about 14. I think my first restaurant job was at the Bonanza Steakhouse in Wayne, Pennsylvania. Oh, <laughs> um, wow. But I did, I did, I really primarily worked front of the house. I wasn't cooking in kitchens. Um, I was doing everything from, you know, starting out busting tables, waiting tables, bartending. And then I was managing when I was into my teens, I was opening some restaurants and bars. Um, and then I guess around the time I was like 19, I started a catering business, um, out of my apartment, um, just as something to do. Cause I really wanted to cook and I knew I could do it. And that was crazy and it got successful, but I was working by myself and, you know, cooking until two or three in the morning, the night before in my apartment and like transferring, <laughs> schlepping all the food in the trunk of oh, my car God. to the venue. I'll never forget. I was doing a party mm -hmm. once and my apartment was in Devon. I, it was a, a party. I think it was a cocktail party for like 60 people. It was a big deal for me. I'd never done anything like this. I was up the night before right. everything was done, prepped, put into the trunk of my car. And I was driving from Devon, Pennsylvania to center city on a Friday afternoon. And I remember I was cutting through West Philly because that was the least, you know, the least trafficked sure. area. Best way to go. My, my car broke down. You know, I had this like old, I don't know what I was driving an old Volvo. My car broke down. 
I had to get to the party and set up. I was freaking out. I flagged down a taxi cab. I don't even know how I got so lucky. The taxi cab driver had a trunk that was empty. He transferred all the food into his truck. He drove me down to front street where this party was, helped me unpack all this stuff. I don't know how I did this party. It ended up being, of course, an incredible success. And I was just like, after that, I was like, I'm fucking done. (laughs) I can't do this anymore. I mean, I I wasn't ready to hire a staff. I needed to either grow or stop. And so I stopped. Um, But I really was, again, just working front of the house. I didn't get into working in kitchens until after my kids were born. And I I wanted to do something. And I I was teaching cooking classes um, from my kitchen in the suburbs when my kids were young, just as something to do to make some extra money. And all of my friends always said, you're such a great cook. You should teach people how to do it. So I started doing that. And so I was cooking from my home, but I really didn't get into restaurants until my kids were like, you know, five and six years old. And I was trying to figure out what to do. And then when I bumped into Guillermo and I started working in his kitchen, that really was the segue for me from front of the house to back of the house. Um, and I were, right. and I, I, so I was working in restaurant kitchens and then I met Neil Stein and I started working with him. And then he introduced me to the guy that was the director of the cooking show who one day just said, Hey, you should audition. We're like casting for the, uh, for a host for this cooking show. And I was like, cooking show. Like, I, I mean, I can cook, but I have never been on TV. I have no <laughs> idea what you're talking about. And he's like, just come. And so it was kind of like a joke. I was like, all right, I'll come and I'll do it. And, um, I remember, uh, the audition was at the Fretz corporation in Northeast Philadelphia. And I walked into where the, yeah. the audition was and there were, there were all these chefs there and there were all these women who were like journalists and TV people. And I walked in, but I was the only one that had any experience cooking in the kitchen. And so he said, you know, just pretend you're working with this chef and you're talking to the chef. I don't know. I got into the kitchen I started working with the chef and I realized, Hey, like this is, I can do this. Like I know what it's like to be in the shoes of the guy that's cooking and I could communicate with the audience. And all of a sudden it was like this moment. I was just like, boom, like I love this and I can do this. And so he hired me on the spot. And, um, I think a couple of weeks later I started hosting this cooking show and we used to host 10 shows in one day, 10 half hour shows back to back in one day. I would get there at eight in the morning we would do 10 shows in the same day. I would have George Perrier, Chris Carduzio, I did Maury Moto, Danielle Ballou, Eric Repair. I mean, huge names of chefs. And I would just sure. go 30 minutes with one chef. They would be all prepped and come in and do it. And then we'd have like a 10 minute break, break it down, set up the next guy. And I would just all day long for like 10 hours be in the kitchen side by side with these chefs cooking with them. And so over the course of like the next, you know, five years, I, I had such incredible experience. I mean, I think people would have paid, literally paid to be able to stand side by side with these chefs and cook with them. And it was a great education for me. Um, and in the the same, who was your first episode? You know, I think I'm pretty sure it may may have been Mark Betry and Mark had never been on TV before. I remember exactly what he made and he was Was so shy. Wow. Yeah, he had just opened Vetri. Let's. What year did Vetri open? I wonder. No, I'm. I mean, I don't even know. Yeah, I mean, I'm on the Google. Yeah. Okay, good because I don't really, I can't really put the numbers together. But I think Mark was one of the first chefs. Right. He made he made his spinach gnocchi. 
he made a spiadino with mozzarella and anchovies, which was unbelievable. And he made, um, gosh, I don't remember the third thing, but I do remember the spinach gnocchi. It was legendary. He still has it on the menu at Vetri sometimes. Those are fun. I love throwing shit like that on, like stuff that I've retro years. I just the classics. Hold on. Mark Vetri first. Oh, first wife. Wrong one. (laughs) It's amazing what happens when you type in Google. Um, so two decades, 2006. Wow. So I'm trying to think of, no, that can't be right. Could it be right? 98. 98. Yeah. Because that, that makes 98 sense. 98 because then in 99, yeah, in 99, that made makes one sense. of uh, 10 best chefs by food and wine. Uh, it was right. Beard, it, was, 2005. it was right. Definitely right around that time. Oh God. 98. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Cause I worked with Derek in 2003. So, okay. That makes sense. Yeah. I, I just didn't realize it had been around that long. That's amazing. <laughs> I mean, just he. I mean, it was a great experience. It, it, you know, it's interesting because um, hosting a cooking show, and you, I'm sure you have come across this in your experiences and travels, and just be, as a viewer too. You know, just because someone's a great chef doesn't make them a great personality on media, on TV, and on video. And so, you know, every time a chef came into those the kitchen were paid with me, episodes though. But they were, were not paid. paid no, they were not paid episodes at the time. It was sponsored by the Fretz Corporation. They were absolutely not paid. Um, we invited the chefs were invited to come on and cook. So it was only chefs that were invited. Because when, when I was originally, I was invited, but I was told that it was a pay that I had to, as a restaurant group we had to pay. Well, later it so the, the later it years, changed, right. later the business model changed, and as the show sort of. Um, wound down, yeah. he, st- he started doing pay for play, but in the beginning it was only chefs who were invited. So, but it was interesting right. because every chef that came on, it was, um, I, you know, I never knew what I was going to get. So it would take me right. literally like five minutes to sort of ascertain whether the chef really knew what he was doing. Was he going to be a slob? So some guys just like drop shit all over the place and they were a mess. And I was just like cleaning up behind them. It was horrible, like babysitting. And then there were you know, chefs that were totally professional and incredible and would come in and they, it was just unbelievable to be standing, standing next to them and organized and the food would just sing like incredibly. So really great experience. It was your last episode. My last episode. Oh, I have no, I have, I have no idea, but, um, my very last episode that I filmed, I don't know. I did so many, um, it could have been Walter State from City Tavern because he and I did a lot of episodes together. Um, Walter, I just Walter's I tried to get the, him best. On the other day. I texted him the other day. Yeah. Oh, and Walter, Walter's incredible. Talk about He's an great. Icon. My oh my gosh! Yeah, Fully. amazing. Really. Oh, and he, you know, thinking about him reminds me also of I did one or two episodes with Michelle Richard. God rest his soul. He's mm-hmm. not with us anymore. Another incredible chef from Washington D.C. Um, he reminded me of Walter a little bit, although Walter's German and Michelle, of course, was French um, and such a French right. chef in every sense of the word. Um, yeah, but I don't remember exactly who the last one was, but I do remember a lot. I, I mean, I certain chefs I really m- remember, some of the memorable ones, like when Morimoto came on, 
I think I was so nervous because I, I just, he was so huge, you know, he was iron chef and oh, he yeah. was so talented and he's so Japanese. huge for a little guy. Exactly. And, and he came I mean, on and he, seeing he, him on TV, you imagined him the way that they portrayed him was this six foot five giant culinary wonder. Yeah. And he's yeah. And he's this little dude. So funny to watch. The first time I met him, I was, I I was like, there's, this is not him. You're lying to me. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, it's the camera angle, right? He's like five, five. What's that? It's all, it's all about the camera angle. He's not that short. He's so funny. Short. Um, I'm five, nine. He's shorter than I am. He's probably five, seven. I remember he came in and he, he, I'll never forget this. I was speechless for the first time. I, I've never been rendered speechless. He took a daikon radish that must've been about, I don't know, 14 or 15 inches long. He took his gorgeous Japanese chef's knife and he turned the daikon radish so quickly with one hand and had the Japanese knife in the other. And in about three seconds, he turned this daikon radish into a transparent sheet of paper in a rectangle. Oh, And I was like, yeah. Oh my God, what just happened here? You could see through it. It was perfectly trimmed. And I was just like, and, and I had this IFB in my ear and my, my producer, my director was like, say something. I didn't know what to say. I was like, how did you just do that? <laughs> yeah. Wow. That was amazing. 64. Wow. Oh, yeah. Where is he? Where is he? Where is he cooking now? I mean, I don't see him in Philly in the restaurant. I don't know if he, like, if he goes around no. to his restaurants or if he's doing, is he doing any TV anymore? I can't believe he's 64 years old. He appeared on Hawaii Five O. Oh my gosh. Remember that? Do, yeah. do, 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 do. I totally do. do. <laughs> 64 years old, born in 1955. Um, there's not a lot. It gets into weird stuff here. Who is more like it gets into real weird stuff. Um, I, I just, I remember I, I see, I couldn't imagine. I mean, especially with what you were doing at that point to have somebody, I mean, those were at that point, iron chefs. I mean, who else, who no, we didn't know who to look up to other than those guys at that point. Yeah. Well, I will say that he, he, he was one person that I felt really literally like I was with a God of the kitchen because he was so accomplished at the time. The other, the other experience that really rocked my world on this, when I was hosting the show is we went up to film some episodes in Portland, Maine, because the director of the show had a house up in Maine and he liked me and he was friendly with Rod Mitchell from Brown trading company who has the most, he's a fisherman. Do you know who he is? Rod Mitchell. I I know the name and I know a little bit of the reputation. Yeah. Brown Trading Company is this incredible fishmonger from Portland, Maine. He's got a store there on the waterfront. And he's a fisherman. He line catches all of his fish. And he was selling fish to Danielle Blue and Eric Repair and David Pasternak in New York. And so he had an incredible reputation. So we decided we were going to film shows at his house on Peaks Island, which is off the coast of Portland. So I went up to film these shows. We did shows with Eric Repair was there, Danielle Blue, David Pasternak, and Rod Mitchell. And we filmed these shows at his house on this little island in the middle of the bay, the Casco Bay in Portland, Maine. And I just, incredible experience working with these chefs who were, you know, really internationally acclaimed and just being in the kitchen with them and doing what we did, standing by their side. It was incredible experience, great education, informative, and 
really, these are the chefs that I've looked up to and have such an incredible amount of respect for. They have amazing restaurants. Sure. And I felt really lucky and um, proud to be to have worked with them. And I had so many experiences like that. Um, Philadelphia chefs and, and chefs from around the world. So that was great. Um, that portion of my life was really fun. I was really happy. I thought I'm show- doing this job and I'm getting paid for it. And I love what I do. <laughs> That's when it's fun. Exactly. Do you think that show would would still be as prevalent now? Because it was a big deal. I mean, your show was a big deal. You know, I mean, you had you had the creme de la creme of chefs at that point. I mean, I remember watching. I'd be like, holy shit! Like, you know, and, and, know. and even when I saw guys that I knew, you know, when I saw George Perry, when I saw Tony Clark, when I saw you know Marty and those guys on, like, mm-hmm. I, I thought it was super cool. But then I there were other times that I t- I would go in, and it was to me it was kind of in a in a roundabout way reminiscent of that Great Chef series that was on PBS. I loved that series. I love that woman's voice. Totally. So silky, smooth, jazzy. Put on food. Yeah. yeah. Remember her? I mean, she was now like, we've got Chef's Table. Yeah. You know, Chef's I mean, Table yeah. has, has, has taken that and done yeah. an unbelievable job with it. Amazing. Amazing but, series. Well, I think that at the time that show was really different because it was really about the chef and what went on in their head and, and they could come on and cook whatever they wanted. So it was really about what was going on in the chef's head. So I think at the time... It was really interesting. And honestly, I think that I brought a lot to the table, so to speak, because um, I understood what was going on from both angles. But I do think that the concept got a little bit stale. And I think that had the, the director changed some things about it, it could have stayed really um, it could have stayed interesting. But I think it just got stale. I think it got boring. I think people got tired of watching because it just it was old, you know, how it, and the whole yeah. dump and stir kind of cooking show, like people were getting bored. They wanted more experiences. They wanted more drama. They wanted, it started to become reality. And this was, he, I, I just don't feel like he was flexible enough to really know that he had to, to grow and learn and change in order to keep it current. It's sure. my feeling. So what would you, what would you do differently now to make that show current? I probably would do more on location. I would probably go more on location. I wouldn't be in a studio and it wouldn't be all dump and start. So, you know, I probably would be, it would be more, (laughs) I am working on this concept for this new show and um, it's just more experiential. It's like how, where do you get the food? Where do you source it? I think people are more interested in the, in the journey of the food and not so much in walking into the kitchen and how do you cook this? Where does it come from? You know, what do you do with it? What do you do with it after you cook it? How do you enjoy it? What's the one? I think it's a whole process. And so, um, yeah, I think just getting it out of the kitchen and on location would, would change it. But, um, you know, I think that also camera people would have to be a little more creative at that time. It was like, you know, we had three cameras, but they were all in the same place. I mean, there was one guy that was walking around in the food, but I think, you know, it, it just, would have to be a little bit more visceral and real and in your face. It was, uh, I, I mean that, that was the look of all of the shows, 
at that point. I mean, it was that three camera shot, that host asking questions, chef talking, you know, yeah. camera from above, you know, exactly, you know, the pour yeah. and, you know, and stir. So exactly. but I think that there's, there's so, I believe that there's still a huge need for that. You know I mean? Now I think, everything's I, broken yeah. down. Everything is, is, is 30 second clips. You know, we do everything super fast. You know, that, that technique is, is almost on the wayside compared to tricks and tips. You know, all I, I ever see anymore is tips yeah. and tricks. I think people are still interested in watching people cook. I think that the shows all went in the direction of drama and reality and they wanted to see people cry and chefs, you know, punishing people. But I think people are actually interested in watching the art of cooking. And I think that there is space for something that's well done and not wrote and with the right personality and the right setting. Um, I, I think there's space for that. Definitely. I mean, look, I, totally, you, you know, the food network wouldn't exist. But I, but I do think the Food Network sort of got away from that, you know, it, it's got away from cooking and got more into drama and reality. Yeah. Um, sure. And so maybe there's well, room for it pace. to head, you know, back in that direction again. Well, I mean, now we're looking at networks that have, you know, I mean, there's networks out there that are 15 minutes long, not even network. Let me rephrase that. Streaming outlets that yes. are, you know, I mean, there's, there's one, one thing that's just 15 minutes long. I mean, my brothers own a production company in LA and they, you know, this is, you know, these are guys who won, you know, James Beard awards and Emmy awards for their show, show that they did with Emeril Lagasse. Mm-hmm. And, you know, now they're working with a network that is, you know, every episode is 15 minutes long. That's it. Wow. I mean, yeah, and the, I, but the I think the time span of what we're doing is so fast. It's cool. I think it's great though, because, you know, sometimes you don't want to sit for a half an hour and watch something 15 minutes. It's nice well, to be able to do a quick hit. I mean, we've, we, uh, this is a conversation, honestly, I had today with my manager and, and, and my agent, you know, we were having a long conversation about this stuff, about the fact that, you know, we, we are all vying for that one to two hour time slot. There is no time slot for TV. It's not like, you know, it's not like we used to watch Friends at 8 o'clock. It's not like we used to watch whatever, The Love Boat or, you know, I mean, or something to that effect. You know, we used to, now you can stream whenever you want. But but what are we doing to grab that one to two hour to get as much of the viewer eye within that one to two hour time frame, which is either in the morning, during lunch, later in the evening when you're sitting down and you're winding down. Um, you know, cause I mean, we're, we're a different breed. We're on all day. We're posting what we're doing constantly, especially when we're traveling, you know, I mean the viewer, Karen, who everybody's been talking about recently, uh, is they only have it. She only, she only has a certain amount of time to watch TV or to watch a show or to grab what it is that she wants to see. So we're all vying for that one to two hour time frame that we can all get in front of that one person or that multiple amount of people. Yeah. And you've got to create and nobody's, nobody's, we're all recreating the wheel. I mean, look at movies. We're remaking Batman again. I know. Well, look know? at the Irish, the Irish, the Irishman was three hours long. <laughs> so what's up with that? I haven't even seen the last two hours of it. I had to stop after one hour. I was like, all right, it's getting to be late. It's 11 well, o'clock. I, no I was way. flying, I was flying to Thailand. So I broke it up into three oh, parts you got it. and it, <laughs> it was manageable. So, an hour, an hour, and an hour. 
so now speaking about you going to Thailand and, and doing the other stuff, I mean, that's like a big transformation from this local super regional show that you did around here and where you had these world-class chefs coming in to do it. Where are you, what are you doing now? I mean, how have you transitioned? Um, well, you know, I, like I said, I'm working on this new, uh, concept and, um, I'm traveling more and I'm filming things on the road. I, 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 produce and host a lot of my own material. And I was doing the Crave Philly episodes, which were two minute episodes about what's kind of happening in food and beverage in Philadelphia. And they were broadcasting in the back of taxi cabs in Philly. And that was more kind of about restaurants and like, what's cool and where should we go and or a distillery or, you know, who's doing what. And um, this new concept is more cultural. It's more, it's, it's like food and travel meet culture. So it's not primarily, you know, about a restaurant. Um, and that's where I want to focus right now. Um, I still do, I still develop recipes. I work with food companies and help them do that. And, um, I do, um, events where I interview people. I mean, I did, I interviewed Rachel Ray for the national convention or the Pennsylvania convention for women a couple of years ago, which was, you know, really interesting. So I, I, I do a lot of different things, but personally right now, what I really want to be doing at this point in my life is I want, I, I love to travel and I like to explore culture and I want to tell stories. I want to tell stories about food, travel go. and culture. So that's what I'm focusing so on. That's and, what you're doing. and that's what I'm doing and I'm loving it. Very <laughs> nice. And what is your, I mean, is there kind of an end result of that? Is this something that you want to do in a TV world? Is this something you want to do in a book world? Well, it remains to be seen. Um, I'm just like at the end of putting this whole thing together. So um, it depends. I, to be determined. Um, hopefully, you know, people that see it will be as excited as I am about my ideas. And then we'll see. You know how it is when you have a concept. It all depends on... <laughs> who you find, who finds it as interesting as you do. Yeah. So, right. um, right now well, I'm keeping my fingers crossed. <laughs> I mean, it's funny cause I, you know, I, I've, you know, I've been, I've been kind of locked up in a couple of things for the last couple of months and I haven't been able to do a tremendous amount. And it's today was one of the first times that, uh, during a network conversation, I heard the word passion project. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, a lot of these networks that are out there and a lot of what they're doing, they all have a theme. You know, I mean, look at where Food Network had gone through all these years, you know, from that, the initial stages of, of fully, ex, uh, fully educating the diners that we have now, you know, I mean, if it wasn't for Food Network, I, 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 the, the, the diner that's out there wouldn't be as educated as they are. So you know, true. They were the original ones that started all of that and, and shows like yours where you were able to break down not only a recipe, but a personality at the same time to put something behind a plate that wasn't just food. You know, I yeah. mean, there was a lot that went into the dishes that you were creating that were being created on your show. And you, you were, uh, one of the things that I liked about was, it was what you've talked about, which is the knowledge that you had of not only being a quality host, but at the same time, having the understanding of being in a kitchen. So when somebody said saute, you're not saying, now, can you explain what saute means? Exactly. I could you know, see what the chef was doing even before he did it. And I could, I could bring the diner into that process 
and the chefs, you know, aren't always that articulate. Bring the conversation through. Absolutely. Yeah. So that, so that the important. chefs understood what the viewer needed to know and the viewer understood what the chef was doing. Um, yeah, the, you nailed it. Um, I think that was, it was, it was an interest, it was interesting for me. It wasn't just about, you know, talking about chefs and what they were cooking. It was, it was gritty. It was in depth and there were chefs, there were stories to tell. Where did these chefs come from? Actually, one, one, another chef who was incredible, <laughs> Jose Andres did his first, very first <laughs> cooking show with me. He had never been on TV before. And he was nervous as hell, and, but also incredibly talented and passionate about what he did. I'll never forget, he filleted a tomato and he took the seed, the, the, the pouch of seeds out of the tomato. And I, I'll never forget how he described them to me and, and that feeling of the seeds and the gelatinous aspect of it on your tongue and in your mouth. I mean, he was, we were like making love to this tomato and it was incredible. And he was just a pleasure and a joy to work with. I adored him. We did a couple of shows. Um, and I mean, look at who he is now. Like, you know, he's like this huge worldwide force. Exactly. So yeah, those were pretty great experiences. Um, but I really, I, I love, I, I love being on camera and, um, I think I'm good at it. I, I love being immersed in food. It's, you know, what I know, it's my passion. It comes to me naturally. Um, and so it's what I'd like to continue doing. Obviously you get it. So what you do. Yeah. So it's uh, one of the things that I've had a lot of fun with is the, is kind of the, the way, the way that I've changed one, not only the way that I operate on a business sense when it comes into kitchens and stuff like that, but also the way that I do my, my, my TV and, and my kind of my delivery of stuff. But the big thing for me is the knowledge that I now have of food. I just wish to God that I would have had that. I wish I would have had that at certain points earlier in my career. And I just don't think that it was as readily available. You know, I mean, now the the ability to just look something up and go as far into it as you want, you know, I mean, I can Google, you know, what do you do with the seed of a tomato and be able to break that down into, you know, now I've got a tomato seed confit that's happening. I mean, there's literally, you know, what we're doing with food is limitless. There is nobody, there is nobody on the planet at this point right now that is recreating the culinary wheel. No, and, and I'm excited it's funny for when that starts to happen. I mean, I think there there really isn't anything that hasn't been done. I mean, I know that's not right. true, but so many things have been done. It's just a variation on a theme. But I I, I could Google something because I have an idea, and you know, I use the internet. I'm yeah. sure you do. You know, you Google something, you have this idea. Like, I wonder what's going on, and then I'm always amazed at how much shit I find and people who've already done yeah. what I thought I was going to do that was so novel. Um, so I just think that, I think there's always space for creativity, but I also think, you know, we're not reinventing the wheel here. It's just, you know, people's creativity and their competency in combining flavors and profiles and, you know, everybody does it a little bit differently and, um, you know, how they present it and where the ingredients are coming from are going to taste a little bit different. Um, I think there's room for that creativity, Um, but I also think that nobody's really doing anything new and novel at this point in time. Oh, I agree. I mean, except who's the guy who's Farrar's, was it his brother? 
Oh, well, brother. yeah. I mean, maybe in Spain, they're doing new and novel things. Come on. Yeah, that's true. I mean, but that's, I mean, that, that's, <laughs> or you know, Shola. that's Let's where... talk about Shola. Shola is doing new things all the time. I mean, yeah, he is. It, what, yeah, he is. I, I haven't seen him <laughs> in years. I've had, I've had, a, I had sat and had a tasting with him one night. I mean, he actually is one of the most creative people that I know in, Super in food. I love, yeah. you know, following what he, he does. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, but for the most part, I think that, you know, most people are, I, I guess it's not true that nobody's doing anything new. There's always something new, but, um, yeah, you know what I mean? <laughs> No, I, I, I totally do. I mean, you know, there, there are a lot of people out there that are doing some pretty awesome things, but I feel like we're doing a lot of that kind of recreate, you know, that I think we're, we're, we're doing the same play on a lot of different things, but I think that we're at an unbelievable point in the, in, in food. And we have been in the last really kind of eight to 10 years. Well, we have super access. aggressive Oh yeah. Yeah, I mean, look, oh, in the totally. US, let, let's just talk about ingredients in the US. We now have access Absolutely. to quality food, which we didn't always have. You know, we didn't always have right. quality ingredients. And now you can get anything from anywhere at any time. So the possibilities are endless, which is exciting. Yeah. So what are you what what are you, what's kind of your go-to meals these days? So I, I mean, my first love is Italy. You know, I spent, uh, I spent a lot of time in Italy. I was living there last year for six months. I was living in Rome. I was studying Italian because I've done some events there and I really wanted to learn the language a little bit better. And I just love it. So my go-to is really Italian. And so for me, like, there's nothing like a plate of a good plate of pasta. Um, Mm -hmm. I like, I like simple, I like simple food. And I, I, my philosophy and when I wrote my cookbook, this was the philosophy of my book and it's just the way I like to eat. And that is when you have, you know, quality ingredients, you don't need that many of them in order to make the flavors shine. And so I tend to, you know, eat pretty simple food, but flavor forward, um, healthy, not diet food, but just, yeah. I mean, a great steak an incredible fish, like, you know, raw seafood that's at its prime. Like give me a, there's a guy at, at head house market, Rittenhouse square market who brings, um, scallops from Barnegat Bay on the weekends. And I cannot buy scallops anywhere else. Now I get them, I get them home and I start eating them raw with a little bit of salt and maybe a little bit of lemon. And I like, I can't even keep them to cook them because they're so right. fresh and so good. Um, yeah. You know, I'm like like restaurants in Philly. We have so many ethnicities of food, so awesome. you know, you, you really have your pick. Um, I Asian, you know, I love Asian. I'm, I'm always craving Asian flavors. Um, yeah, so am I. That's like my go-to these days. Yeah, I mean, so, I mean, and and not just Asian, but you know, Chinese, Japanese, Vietnamese, Malaysian, uh, Korean, you know, Indonesian. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I, I find that when I do, I'll, I'll go to New York and I'll start to pick neighborhoods and I'll just start walking through the neighborhoods and I'll just start grabbing a couple things. I did it in San Francisco a couple of weeks ago and I ended up in this awesome little Filipino spot, Amazing. tiny, tiny six bar stools, you know, me another, uh, by myself, 
you know, a couple had walked in and sat down afterwards and, um, you know, they ended up ordering a couple of things, but it was really just me in the restaurant with the chef at that point and us having a simple conversation. And the next thing you know, I'm, I'm there for two hours, Amazing. you know, and I'm just sucking back the menu as much as this guy wants to play. Um, That's so I'll fun. try to find little pockets of stuff. That's, those are the best ways to eat. Yeah. And, 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 and what about in Philly, you know, in Philadelphia, we really have an incredible Mexican community and the rest of the Mexican restaurants are really starting to be amazing. Um, the choices. Lost, hold and, on. You, you, we had a, we had a blip there. You said in Philly, we have, I said, we have this Mexican community and the Mexican restaurants oh, are really yeah. incredible. And you can find these, I, I see places, new places all the time, these little holes in the wall that are amazing. I mean, La Barbacoa, that's I like found a, a place in Upper Darby. Well, Me- Mexican. Alone. Yeah, no. She's I found amazing. a Mexican Incredible. place in uh, Upper Darby. A total dump. Total dump. Like still had cases of soda in the middle of the floor taking over tables. Like, and I love the food, it. I, I mean, it was, it, was, it was as close to what I've seen in Mexico, you know, especially that kind of street. You know, I mean, I had a place in Tijuana for a while. And, and that you know, as close to that street quality, if you want to call it quality, in some cases, some of it's not the most quality food, but it's very street tasty. food. Uh, yeah. I mean, and that's what I found at this place. They, you know, they had a menu on the wall, but the menu wasn't available. They only had, you know, they, they only had a, they had a special menu that had 15 items on it. He's Love like, you, you don't want to order off of that. You want to order off of this. And that was, again, it was just a little dump in upper Derby that I found What's by accident that? one night. What like your what right now? What's what are you what are you, what are you excited about right now in restaurants in Philadelphia? I'm so curious. I have no idea because I'm not home. <laughs> okay. So I really <laughs> don't know what's going on. Uh, I, I mean, honestly, I'm excited about uh, uh, Solomonov's new place. Yeah, that's something that I'm definitely looking forward to seeing. I mean, I'm still a huge Zahav guy, and I'll tell you what, I love Abe Fisher because I yeah. think that Abe Fisher is super creative. And I don't think that it has the reputation that I feel that it deserves. Yeah. That's a great spot. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, I mean, I think it's, it's the food, the pastrami, the pastrami appetizer that they do is one of the best things that I've had in forever. You know I mean? And that's one of the greatest parts about Philly is that you can walk down a street, find a little place like that. And in reality, walk across the street and get yourself a fried chicken sandwich from the same exact guy. Yeah. That's what I love about Philadelphia. Michael's Actually, he, Michael, he, Solomonov's going to be on in the next couple of weeks. Sorry. He's opening his new place that kind of backed off a little he's, bit. On, but he's he's a great guy. Love him. Um, he is. And such a great backstory to boot. Yeah. Just a quality individual and yeah. so talented. So so what uh, So what are your plans for the next the next couple months going on? Are you traveling again? I'm traveling. You going anywhere good? Um, I'm going to, uh, in a couple of weeks, I'm going to Mallorca in Spain, which I've never been to. And then I'm going Very back nice. to Italy, um, to work a little bit more on this concept that I'm doing. Um, That's awesome. and yeah. And then this summer I'm going to be in Greece for a little while. So yeah, you know, part just of doing that. I'm going to be on an Island, which is called Syros which is near Mykonos. It's a very small island. Um, and, you know, always in search of um, my next my next meal. 
and inspir- <laughs> and inspiration. I like the Mediterranean in the summer. Um, yeah, I really I've done do. Northern Greece and South. Never, I, didn't yeah, I bet I was in the. On, did you go to the Halkidiki Peninsula? No, Sithonia? That's near Thess- Thessaloniki. Yeah, yeah, I was, I was there. up there, uh, and I spent a week up there. I had some crazy. I I smoked a joint in the middle of the street with the mayor <laughs> of the city okay. who had knuckle tattoos and and neck tattoos. That's he was crazy. the mayor. That's His hilarious. Owned one of the largest vineyards in Saloniki, which is a tough thing because it's either Thessaloniki or Saloniki. And depends. I've been corrected on all of them. I actually, when I was up in that, in that area, um, I tasted a dish that I wrote a recipe for and it's in my cookbook. That was so incredible. It was like this to- fresh tomatoes cooked into like a little bit of a tomato sauce. And in that tomato sauce, they poached mussels. And then they, as soon as the mussels popped open, you had all that jus from the mussels in the tomato sauce. And then they took feta cheese and the most incredible, like soft and, and, and delicious feta cheese and like stirred it into the sauce. It was mussels with this like tomatoey, briny feta cheese, Mm -hmm. a little bit spicy. Oh, my mouth is salivating just thinking about it. Amazing. See, and I, I wish that we did more like that here. I don't see as much of that, you know, that simplistic, super casual, super easy food, small plates, we overdo it. I think we, I mean, first off as Americans, we overdo it anyway. Look, I I own a barbecue spot in Philly, so I'm all about overdoing it. You know, I mean, that's what I mean, do. bigger is sell, better, the more money I make. <laughs> I mean, absolutely. You know, I mean, I'd rather yeah. you, you buy a half a rack of ribs and you're a guy and I'm laughing at you. You know, yeah. like, what, you can't eat a full rack? Like, come on. <laughs> right. um, but then the way that I eat when I go out is completely different in regards to that. You know, I mean, I, and I'm not a, I'm not an entree guy in any way. I rarely order entrees if I'm out. I am a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a small plate appetizer guy across the board as much as I can get into one little Me sitting too. so that Me I can too. have a huge flavor profile and get that, that to me is the way to eat. I mean, so you want to taste, you want to taste more. You want to taste things, and Absolutely. if you get a whole plate of food, you know, you get. Bo- I get bored after a couple of bites. Like, okay, that was great, but on to the next. Well, I do these. I do these appearances where I go in and I do these super high end demos, and um, and and the one of the last ones that I did for last year, um, one of the women who was doing the marketing for the whole thing, she's like, um, Chef, we have a group of people that are, are ready to go when you're done. And I'm like, I have no idea what the fuck you're talking about. And she's like, well, we heard that you like to do four or five restaurants after you do your, your, your thing with us. So we have a group that's going to go with you tonight to wherever you've picked. And none of them have eaten today. And I've (laughs) never felt more pressure. And I was in like Boise, Idaho. You know, like it was one of these situations where I had to do, you know, as much. Re- I mean, I knew the little places that I was going to go, but my places were dive bars, you know, but it was kind of funny to hear because the, the word of what I do when I travel started to get around and people were like, we've been preparing for this. Like we didn't eat all day because we knew <laughs> we heard the way that you'd like to go out. So. But I don't know. Well, we'll, 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 we'll have to go out. And, yeah, let's go do that. Let's do it for Absolutely. sure. Absolutely. 
You're Absolutely. On. I would love to. I would love to. So, all, all right. right. Well, Hope, I know you've got stuff you've got to do. I really cannot thank you enough for hopping on with us and just kind of sharing your experience. And, I, I, you know, this was uh, this was good. I'm really glad we had the opportunity to talk. I'm really, yeah, it was really glad. Fun to, fun to chat. Uh, and neither of oh. us clearly are at a loss for words. So it was fun. No. <laughs> Not at all. And the only reason I'm cutting you off is because you said you had to go around six. So that's where yeah. we're going to stop. Well, we'll um, do it again. Yeah, no, I would love to. I mean, I'd love to kind of do, you know, some recaps and find out what's going on and, and find out some of your stuff. So, you know, for, uh, for me, good. I will absolutely follow you at, uh, further than what I already do. And, uh, you know, if you ever have something you want to talk about, just give me a shout. I'd love to have you back on. Sounds good. Let's so. uh, grab a meal when you're in Philly and I'm in Philly. I'd love it. All right. So Hope, do me a favor real quick. Why don't you one more time, just tell us, uh, tell us your name and how we can get in contact with you and, or follow you. And, uh, and I appreciate that. Yeah. Hope Cohen, uh, I crave Philly on Instagram or email hope Cohen at me.com. Perfect. I love it. Thanks for your time. Hope have a great night. Have a great night. You as well. Thanks so much. Cheers. Bye. So there we go. Hope Cohen. Look, I, I followed hope for years. I mean, she was, uh, she was pretty, instrumental in a lot of the chefs in this area uh, as we, as I grew up in this scene, I mean, in the food scene, I mean, you know, she was one of those things. And uh, you know, I remember watching those episodes. I remember seeing, uh, you know, seeing, seeing hope on TV and seeing the chefs that I knew, you know, guys that I had worked with in the past who, who were either my chefs or, uh, you know, the sous chefs that I was working under while I was kind of growing up in culinary school and moving forward uh, throughout my career. That was pretty awesome to do. So, um, so Hope, thanks so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. And um, everybody who's out there, you can find Hope Cohen uh, at I Crave Philly um, or get over to her website. I mean, I know she's got – let me pull up, make sure I'm pulling up the right site here. Um, Hope has a book. Uh, that is out that is, hold on. Where did it go? Where did it go? I think I lost it. I'm just not good at this stuff, guys. You know, I'm not the, uh, the technological guy on here. Um, hope, hope does have a book, uh, that's out here that I love. I just can't find it right now. So I'm going to do this. There we go. Uh, um, anyway, I'll, I'll put it up on the links for everything. Um, but, uh, check her out. She's pretty much a badass in Philly and I, and I'm a big fan of it. So, uh, everybody do me a favor and, uh, uh, get out there and follow her, follow, uh, the people that I work with as well. You got to go over to radioinfluence.com and check out the boys, the multitude of podcasts that these guys have put together is unmatched. Um, Jerry and Jason are just crushing it in the podcast world. And it's really something neat to see. And I'm really glad to be a part of it. So go over to radioinfluence.com. You know what I'm going to say. You got a hundred percent chance to know if you don't ask. So get over there and talk to the boys. You got an idea for a podcast? It's a 50-50 shot. It's the best that I can say on that. Maggie Gagliardi, check her out as well at Mags, M-A-G-Z-A-R-T. Maggie does all of our illustrations. And Michelle uh, out there at Techno Solution. Look, I'm doing these really cool live menu reads, as I talked about in the open of the show. Um, and we're doing a contest where we're giving away a makeover of your menu with Michelle. Uh, we're also going to be doing some codes so you can get some money off if you want to have your menus made over. Uh, I'm, I'm, you know, you guys already heard me talk about it in the beginning. I don't want to get too far into it because most of you have stopped listening anyway because this is the credit part. Uh, but uh, get out there, everybody, and check out Techno Solution as well. Thank you so much for hanging out with us this week. I really appreciate it. 
appreciate it. Do me a favor. Go out and just be nice to people, man. It's not that goddamn hard. It's not that hard. Bye-bye. Didn't get Duffified enough? Follow Chef Brian Duffy on Facebook and on Twitter at Chef B-R-I-D-U-F-F. Look for the blue verified checkmark to get exclusive content and to see what's coming up on next week's show. This has been Duffified Live with Chef Brian Duffy on Radio Influence.